Welcome into another NBL podcast on ESPN. My name's Kane Pittman here in Melbourne. And this time, the international world traveler, my esteemed colleague, <laughs> Olga Nulic, has taken himself to the gong. He's in Wollongong, the Illawarra Hawks hosting the Tasmania Jack Jumpers tonight, but they're also hosting Olga Nulic in their fine, fine city Olds. They're hosting me. Yeah. <laughs> no, look, I, I've, I, w- I said this last time, considering there aren't many games in Melbourne in January, especially in this first chunk of January. Um, I figured I'd get home to Sydney, make my rounds, went to a few Kings games, uh, covered those, figured I'd get down to the gong and, and cover some of these too. Um, yeah, Illawarra, Tasmania, got to shoot around this morning for the Illawarra Hawks. Um, I'll say this, um, for a team that is 2-18, and 18, 18 losses on the season. What is their losing streak at right now? I, I hate to keep. A lot. They've lost eight in a row. Um, they're two and eighteen on the season for a team with that record. You would assume that there would be uh, a lot of what, anxiety, maybe clashing of heads. The vibes are relatively positive and and uplifting and forward looking for a team in that situation. And so, considering everything they've been through, from uh, you know their team, they weren't there wasn't expected much of them going in. And then injury after injury after injury to to imports. They've been through a lot, um, but I will give them credit for keeping their heads high and sort of, they still seem locked in, which I can't really say about Brisbane, considering they've gone through a, a similar situation, perhaps because of different circumstances, but their record is the same or is similar. Um, they've sort of capitulated in, in a different way. The Hawks have responded with what looks to be, you know, positivity and, and it looks like they're trying to grow and learn. It genuinely seems like they are a well put together team. Um, they haven't lost each other, which is for a two and eighteen. Yeah, I'd say it's impressive. Yeah, we talked about the Phoenix and we're gonna to get to this ridiculous postseason uh, run to the postseason that we've got mm. coming up here because it's absolutely absurd. But yeah, just quickly with the Hawks, I mean, Jacob Jacobus as well, first year as head coach and you're still watching the Hawks games and he's absolutely coaching his ass off. We've got a, a little <laughs> group chat with Peter Hooley and we were just discussing the Brisbane and Illawarra stuff a few days ago. And I said, look, the Hawks are still a threat to beat a team on any given night right to the end of the regular season. Because as you pointed to, they've got young guys that are hungry, that want to play, that seemingly want to play uh, for Jacob as well. It doesn't seem to be the case in Brisbane. It seems like they've got probably an older roster that wants this season to end yesterday. Um, so I think that's <laughs> the difference with those two teams. But yeah, they got the Jack Jumpers tonight. Uh, Jack Jumpers played, I thought, decently against Melbourne. Weren't able yep. to get the win. But these are the types of games you can't afford to lose if you're Tassie. They're 11 and 10 and they're fourth right now. But in a couple of days' time, they could be in sixth. And then uh, we know how tight this race is. So let's get to the teams that matter in terms of are we going to see them play in the playing tournament and then maybe the postseason, the real stuff. So this might be a a weird spot to start. Uh, Let's actually talk about the team in eighth, Melbourne United. And we're going to get into Perth. We're going to get into Cairns. We're going to get into Sydney, who are absolutely flying again right now, the Phoenix. So if you're fans of any of those teams, we're going to hit them. But Melbourne United, uh, no other way to put it, Ogs, they're flying. They're, they're playing really, really good basketball. So it was a week or two ago on this podcast where did you write Melbourne off? Was I here saying that Melbourne is a legitimate, is legitimately in contention to make that top eight? And was it you, my friend, who laughed at me? 
Well, if you said they were going to make the top eight, I would have agreed with you because I think that's in the bag. Okay. Top six, top six. Top six, top six. <laughs> I said that yeah. they were going to make that play in situation and you laughed at me. Yeah, I still think that they probably won't. But just because of like the way that this has had to be almost a perfect run. So I tell you what, here's the thing with Melbourne. And we talk about games that they're going to look back and regret and we'll keep on going over it. But you lead Tassie for 39 minutes out of 40 and lose. You're up by 37 points with 10 seconds to go against Perth and you can't grab a rebound. You lose that game, right? And they're 11 and 12 right now. They've won six of their last eight. But this is why they deserve credit. And you're right. I said that I don't think that they can make the playing tournament. I still, they still have to jump two teams. There's percentage stuff there. I still think they're hoping. They're on the road a lot. We said it was unlikely, but I was confident considering the way they were playing. Yeah, I'm still not confident. I'm still not confident. No, it's not that I don't think that they can, but they just need everything to be perfect. And we know in this league, the way that it's gone this year, it generally things don't go the way that you think they're going to. But they they've got confidence. But this is why they deserve so much credit because they were they lost those uh, three games in a row. It was a Tassie game and the Perth game, and then they had a, a, a throwdown sandwiched in between where they only scored seventy two points and they just didn't play well. And you lose those three games. They're five and ten, and you're like, well. They can't, because not only did it look like they wouldn't be able to run off the wins to get there, but just mentally going through that three-week patch, they had every reason to just say, we can't, this is too much. And they haven't. Yeah, if that's going to happen, then probably isn't our year. Like, they would, yeah, again, every reason to just pack it up up at that point. I agree. Um, But what it, I'm, the thing thing that I, I like about them is that if they make the playoffs, Let's say they get in that top six. Yeah. I think they're a top three team in the league at that point, considering the way they're playing currently. I would. So I, I'm catching up with Dean Vickerman very soon after we record this podcast because I want to get into the idea of the run the table mentality that they've had to have. And I'm so mm-hmm. curious because Dean has spoken a little bit about the fact that maybe he changed his attitude. But we know this. We were around this team every single week. And as the kids say, the vibes were not good. This, <laughs> it just wasn't a happy place. And there was lots of stuff going on. And I do wonder, and I'm always curious about this, the mentality that athletes get themselves in. And certainly Dean has clearly got himself in, that they don't have anything to lose. Like they haven't been playing with pressure. Now, at some point, that is going to flip. And they're going to say, hang on, we are actually right there and we can make the playing tournament. And all of a sudden they are seriously playing for something. And I'm curious to know how that's going to change the mentality for this team. But over this eight game stretch, they're third in offense, fourth in defense, second in net rating. I mean, they are legitimately have been a top two team over the last eight games that they've been that they've been winning. In the first 15 games, there were seventh for offense, seventh for defense. First 15 games, seventh for offense, seventh for defense, and ninth for net rating. Legitimately the second worst team in the league. So this has been a remarkable turnaround. And I can say that I think that it's unlikely based on the probability of all these results going the way they needed to. And that's what I'm basing it on. But you're right. These other five teams, if Melbourne get in, they don't want them to be there because they are playing like a top two, top three team. Well, that's the craziest thing. And and I don't think it's it's not it's not something people are talking about yet, but if they make the the play in, we could very well end up with like a Sydney Melbourne grand final, which would have been absurd to talk about at the start of the season. But if Melbourne sneaks in, which again, 
we understand how unlikely it is given the hole that they put themselves in to start the season with their home games, the amount of road games they have left. It's it's going to be tough, but considering the way they're playing, they they will go into every single one of their next games, not every, perhaps most of their next games, as the better team and the team probably more likely to win. And so if they get in there, then damn, all, all bets are off at that point. Like I don't, you don't, I don't necessarily have them have New Zealand over them as the better team, as in as currently placed. Even though New Zealand is looking really, really, really good, um, I don't think Kansas that is better than them. I think Melbourne has better depth than them. Um, so I am so intrigued at how this is all going to end up. And that's just that's just one of the little one part of this. You still got Perth. You have Southeast Melbourne who look like a lock two weeks ago. All of a sudden, they're in sixth place. Um, this fight for the to make that top six, um, I'm so glad we have a play-in. If we, if we didn't, I feel like some of these teams down there, we'd still have a, a fight for that fourth spot. Uh, but the fact that we're talking about Melbourne still, as, as much as they've, they've um, flirted with, with just tapering away, um, I think that that playing that play stuff is here to stay. I'm curious, yeah, long-term, and you know me, I always, I'm too much of a nerd. I like to like, you know, look at the numbers all that. And that's why I'm saying that if you're a Melbourne fan, you, you're looking at all these other games and you're watching Perth tonight when they play New Zealand and you're praying that they don't win. And then mm-hmm. you're watching the Phoenix and you're probably thinking, geez, the injuries came at a perfect time for us. Like there are some things that have started to go right. No doubt about that. Adelaide, uh, you know, losing again in a close one. All those things you're hoping for if you're a Melbourne fan. Uh, but this season is legitimately a, a an outlier when it comes to having eight teams that are in the mix because we discussed at the start of the season typically you have six teams that are you know thereabouts definitely five teams for the top four and then there's a clear drop off at at number seven so to have yeah. the eight teams here this is a, a an interesting year but you talk about timing yeah really matter in the for the league it just couldn't have couldn't have worked out any better that we're sitting here and we still have no idea uh, what is going to happen? Chris Golding is someone that I asked Dean Vickerman about a million times at the start of the season. Can we get this guy more shots? Why isn't he getting more shots? Why is he going to quarter without taking a shot? And you know, Dean was like, look, we're trying different things. There was different personnel in and out of the lineup. So the first 12 games, he attempted 7.6 three-point attempts and was knocking down 39.5%. So really high clip for high volume. The last nine games, that's ramped up to 10.4 attempts per game. And now he's up over 40%. I'm still not sure he's taken enough shots. So Chris Golding being a featured part of this offense has been great. Rajon Tucker obviously finding the tempo and the team playing a little bit faster, looking to push it, giving the ball to Tucker and saying, hey, going attack mode has been huge. And the other one has been Marcus Lee. He has been unreal. He's shooting 75% at the rim at this point. We know he's a, a shot blocker as well. But geez, he's just fit well with this team and been exactly what they needed as... Let's be honest, Isaac Humphreys through the year has been a good shot blocker, but he's been finding his way through the year, particularly offensively, trying to come back to the game, trying to come back to the court and be efficient. And having a guy that takes all the pressure off him, it feels like to me at least, has been huge for this team. Yeah, it was weird. When we went into the season, uh, the the chat was always going to be, you know, Ariel Hockporty and Isaac Humphreys effectively splitting minutes so Isaac can get back to health because he was coming off a, a, a leg injury. Um, and then obviously Hockporty getting into himself as far as maturity goes. And so those two were going to bounce off each other and, and work together that way. Um, Marcus Lee comes in and 
it seemed like Isaac Humphries was there health-wise. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the big issue was he couldn't defend properly because he had to stay out of foul trouble because they didn't have depth in that position because they didn't want to they didn't want to play. Pete Ling wasn't ready yet. Um, he was still injured, so they didn't want to play an Aquera at the five. They couldn't play Barlow extended minutes at the five. So it was tough for Isaac just to be out there without some sort of insurance behind him. Marcus Lee comes in. Not only is he just the insurance that, you know, Isaac can perhaps be a bit more aggressive defensively. Maybe he can maybe try to block another, a, an extra shot or two. But also Marcus Lee's come in as this lob threat, um, as this guy who runs the floor. I was looking at some of the numbers yesterday. I don't have the specific numbers in front of me. But when it comes to uh, his raw on-off numbers, uh, are really, really impressive. He is, in his short time, one of the most efficient players in the league one of the most effective players in the league. And it's helpful that he's come into a Melbourne team that is now healthy, that now has Shea Illy, that has now figured out how to utilize Chris Golding, and that has uh, has Rajon Tucker playing at a level that he clearly understands the league a bit better now. Um, he's come into a perfect storm, um, but he's still extremely effective. The only thing that scares me now is Isaac Humphreys has gone down with a leg injury. Uh, from that Tasmania game. Shea Ely tried to draw a charge, landed on Isaac's leg. Uh, I don't know when the team is going to announce what his diagnosis is. He will miss a few games. He's not out for the season, but he'll miss a few games. And so what they do with that backup center spot now, let's say Marcus Lee slides into that starting five spot, what they do with those backup center minutes is could make or break this season. I think you just ramp up the minutes. You know, Marcus Lee's at around 21, 22 right now. Push him up to 30. Hopefully he doesn't get in foul trouble. And that's the best way for this team to win. All the the advanced stuff with Marcus Lee has been just really, really good. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. So, hey, if you're a Melbourne United fan, strap yourself in because you got (laughs) five games to go and you're still a chance. And you're still, well, you're still a real chance, actually, we should say. The, the, The odds may be against you, but they have been for the last eight weeks and it hasn't, Mattered. What about the Cairns Taipans? Because this race to the postseason, we thought potentially that the Cairns Taipans were going to come back to the pack a little bit because Keanu Pinder's out. He's their MVP player. They've now separated themselves and they join, in my opinion, they could lose their last seven games. I'm going to say that's not going to happen. <laughs> they now join the Breakers and the Kings as the teams that are going to be there. But the Cairns Taipans are playing for home playoff series. They're within reach of the New Zealand breakers and the breakers have to play an absurd amount of games across January because of the COVID stuff. They only played a couple of games in December. So the top ends are right there, but they went four and O without Keanu Pinder or they've gone four and O without Keanu Pinder so far. Now I will say not exactly a gauntlet of opponents. So they played Illawarra, they played Brisbane, and they played Southeast Melbourne and severely, severely depleted Southeast Melbourne. So it's not like they've beaten the best teams in the league, but without their MVP candidate, they've simply got the job done. And the same can't be said for a bunch of teams across the league in these moments where they've had to have other guys step, step up. So uh, what do you take away from this little 4 stretch for the tight bands? Well, so firstly, yes, the, the Hawks were depleted. The Bullets are not in a great spot. Um, but in order to be a really good team, you have to win those games. Take that care, you, yeah, you're take supposed care to of win. business. Yes, you you have to do that, and we we're gonna harp on it, and I'm sure it'll dwell in Dean Vickerman's brain that that game against Perth, you, that that was you had that win in the bag. You didn't follow through. You had 
uh, that win against uh, the game against Tasmania in the bag. You didn't follow it. You, in, in order to get to that spot and stay there and be considered one of those top elite teams, you need to win those games. And so for them to not taper away, to be without Adam Ford for one of those games, to continue to play their style of basketball and win those games, they deserve credit for that, no matter who the opponent is. Um, the the Pinder stuff is interesting because obviously he's what most people consider their MVP candidate. I'm not entirely sure he's their best player because they have a lot of really Hang solid. Top Hang on a guys. second. Are you like okay? He is. We uh, how do I say it? He's rated extremely highly, particularly because he's a local player, and it's really good to have a top tier local player. Um, and I'm sure I'm sure. If you tell if you told me that their three best players equally are Keanu Pinder, DJ Hogue, and Shannon Scott, I wouldn't bat an eyelid. I'd say that makes a lot of sense to me. DJ Hogue is a really, really incredible two-way player. I think Shannon Scott is as well. Um, those those are two imports that other teams are going to be fighting for this offseason. Right? They have been extremely impressive, especially Shannon Scott of late. When there were questions about, you know, what happens with that point guard rotation, you know, who steps up in Keanu's absence, Shannon Scott has stepped up. Um, And so, and that was one of the things that perhaps we didn't consider strongly enough going into this season. We didn't expect uh, Keanu's MVP leap, Um, but we also didn't really take into account the fact that Cairns really nailed their imports um, from top to bottom. And even Taji McCall, who we have had criticisms of and they will continue to come just by the nature of the way he plays. But he has found his way to slot himself into this offense without ruining the flow of, of what they were doing without him because they looked really good without him. He's managed to slot himself in and, and not really affect it too much. So I, I think it's a lot of it's a lot of DJ Hogue and Shannon Scott doing their thing on both ends. Um, and then Cairns continuing to lean into what they do defensively. They There are three really, really elite defensive teams this season. Um, and they are in that conversation. Yeah, McCall also a glue guy. I mean, everything you hear about him in terms of what he does for the team, you know, outside of just the the box score, uh, seems like the type of guy that you want there. And he didn't have to come back. He was asked to do too much last year for this team. We understand mm. that it wasn't a great situation. So, yeah, full credit to him for coming back and and just fitting in. And that's what he's done this last stretch. Shannon Scott, you mentioned. So, before Pinder went out, he's averaging nine points per game. We've spoke about it before. One of or the number one assist to turnover guy in the league, high volume distributor, and just doesn't make mistakes. He's been a calming presence for this team. But you're right, his scoring's gone up. So nine points per game prior to Pinder going out, he's averaged 18 points per game in the four since. So he's really stepped up. And I think that's important for this team as well, particularly the way he shot the ball from three, because we know the Taipans shoot more threes than any other team in the league in terms of three-point rate and the disparity between three-point attempts and two-point attempts. But they're also dead last, and they might still be dead last in three-point percentage. So having guys starting to turn it around, DJ Hoax shot 35% over this stretch, which is above what he was shooting, and Shannon Scott again. So maybe they're starting to knock down those threes at the right time of year as well. And Adam Ford said uh, the other night or a couple of days ago that this team is still a work in progress. They look to me like they've still got improvement. They look like they're still improving. And I say this uh, to everyone, actually, all the fan bases on this podcast, but I still want to get there. I want to get to Cairns. I've never been up there. It looks fun. It looks stinking hot, but it looks like a pretty (laughs) cool place to go. Uh, What team are you most worried about in this mix between four to eight? I feel like we have the same answer to this. 
Um, <laughs> well, and I'll ask. I'll, I'll ask I'm you on the edge of my seat. Who is it? <laughs> I mean, I'll ask you in a, a different way. Who is the worst defensive team in the league right now? Well, that would be our friends over in the West. Is the Perth Wildcats, um, and it is difficult because judging them on their their most recent games against the Breakers and against um, the Sydney Kings, it's very difficult to actually get a, a proper reading of a team going up against those two teams in particular. Um, not just because of how well organized those two teams are, because how good they are defensively, but there were problems in Perth before they signed Ty Webster, and it was something I asked John really in that after that game in Sydney. It was does this does Ty Web the signing of Ty Webster does he fix your issues? Um, and he spoke about the fact that there is just like an overall growth that needs to be had, but their issues are largely defensive. Um, they have been the worst defensive team the entire season. They've been trading spots as far as, uh, you know, leading the league, um, and that's not an, an honor, uh, in defensive efficiency with the Illawarra Hawks. They have been w- one of the worst defensive teams we've seen. And so that's an issue. And in the same way, I mentioned this to you off air, in the same way that we we talk about the corollary between really good defensive teams and teams that do really well as far as wins and losses goes, I think the opposite is also true in that if you are the worst defensive team, it is more likely than not that you will pick up more losses than wins. Yeah, it's the old cliche when it comes to basketball about trading buckets. But if you look at the numbers across the course of the season for Perth, it's it's honestly crazy. So their offensive rating, 114.8, first in the league. Yep. <laughs> and their defensive rating is 115.0, worst in the league. So their net rating overall, minus 0.2 points per 100. So they're basically drawing level. Now, they actually wouldn't need that much of an uptick defensively to be pretty good. But they're giving up 65% at the rim, which is 6% above league average. We spoke about the defensive problems, you know, not to pin it all on the bigs, but they haven't been a team that's stopping anyone from getting to the paint and scoring, which is why if you play a team like Sydney, they're very aware. They're just going to play fast and they're going to score at the rim at will. And no surprise that Xavier Cooks monster them in this in that game. Yeah. But even the last seven games where they're four and three and they've they've looked like they've started to to play um certainly offensively as well as they have all season long, their defensive rating has been worse than it has been on the entire season in this game, in this stretch where they're winning. They they're just not defending. And the reason why I thought the Ty Webster signing was like actually pretty like I liked it because you're not. I don't think that at this point in time you can turn around the defensive stuff. Like, like you are who you are at that point, and I don't think John really would agree with that. But we've seen enough to think that I don't think all of a sudden they're going to become a stout defensive team. So load up on the firepower and try and outscore people. Now history suggests you can't win doing that in this league. But at this point in time, if that's the choice that you have to make, then I like it. Now. Earlier on in the season, and this was after like five weeks, I wrote a story, of course, at ESPN.com.au with some of the numbers and data that we're looking at. And I said, for Perth, it's interesting that the defensive lineups were significantly better if you had one of Brady Manick and one of Tayshaun Thomas with either Jesse Wagstaff or Luke Travers. And I said, now, you know, Manick's a legit rookie as a pro. Like you can't expect, particularly for big men, it's pretty rare that they're going to come in and be great defenders, particularly in a league like this. So you're asking a lot. But having the two big men on the floor has been interesting. Now, they went away from it for a while, 
And then my guess is that really was just like, look, well, we we just need to outscore a team. So he's got his best five offensive players on the floor, which makes sense to me. But out of 107, 107 two-man pairings that have played over 450 possessions this season. So 107 two-man lineups, over 450 possessions this year. Sure. Where do you think Manic and Thomas rank in terms of defensive rating? And and again, this is the team. So it's not just Manic and Thomas. It's it's the Perth Wildcats defensive rating when those two are on the floor. So it's not pinning it on those two just to explain that. Um, who else? My guess is second. No, they last. It's the worst. As in second last. Okay, last. Yeah. Wow. So... They just it's not surprising. Had... I'll say that no. obviously. The the eye test bears that out too. Yeah, they just haven't had success with the two two bigs out there. And again, they're top fifteen out of those 107 pairings when it comes to offense, though. So they've been scoring. So I, I think they're in a difficult position, Perth. But based on what we talk about with all these teams, and that's on spatialjam.com, by the way, which I could just spend hours on. It's just <laughs> behind ESPN.com.au. It might be my favorite website, but uh but yeah i mean we've spoken about it the the stuff with the the title winners i think it's out of the last 11 years no team outside of the top four in defensive rating has won the title i mean they they just don't appear right now uh, to be a legitimate contender in, in case unless something wild happens um defensively with this team and they're outside looking in they play new zealand tonight so as most people are listening to this maybe that game's over they're going to beat the breakers. They're going to find a way. And the breakers are looking really good. Um, the, the, the problem with Perth's offense is that a lot of it comes down to, like, Tayshon Thomas has stepped up in this second half of the season relative to his first half. Um, and I think so has Brady Manic. I think Brady Manic yeah. is a big part of what they do offensively. Um, the, the problem is having those two on mean that you're likely not going to see Luke Travers on. And Luke Travers is, I think, a big reason why they are effective why they can be effective defensively and john really said as much he said we we missed luke travers in this in this game against sydney you know would he have been a a good uh guy to throw at xavier cooks he probably would have been and so the other problem is a lot of what perth does is in the half court they're not they're not a team that's going to run up and down they're third last in pace like they're not and so if you're doing all this stuff in the half court offensively that's that means you want guys like Tayshon Thomas. You want guys like Brady Manic. You want these guys out there who are just not going to get it done defensively. Um, and then it, it it's compounded even more when you have that Brady Manic off shooting night and you're against a team like the Kings who can just snatch it off the rim and go push it. And if Perth's, Perth's defense it already isn't good enough, is already the worst in the league, imagine when they're not even set, right? Imagine you have the Sydney Kings you know, running down your throat. Mm. You know, you're in trouble there. Um I, when we talk about teams we're concerned about, it, they're the one because I think they are built as like they are what they are, and I don't think what they are is good enough. I think, I think Ty Webster coming in helps them. I think that offensive rating maybe jumps up a little bit more, um, based on the skill. But does his, you know, you're bringing in another ball carrier, like he's another creator, and so is that going to mean less shots for Bryce? Does it mean, you know, he has to learn how to play with Bryce? Obviously, Corey Webster's doing really well. You know, does that it didn't hold him against Sydney, but does that affect the way his brother plays? Um, that's why I'm more concerned about them than, say, a Southeast Melbourne, who 
I think are going through their issues now. I think they have their own defensive issues, which kind of puts that makes me put a cap on their ceiling. But I think a lot of their issues right now are largely because of injuries, whether it was Gary Brown with his calf issue, Trey Kell um, with his knee, uh, Brian, Ryan Brockhoff missed a bunch of games. Now Mitch Creek, he had an eye injury. They don't think he'll miss games, but it sounded like a scary injury. So we'll see. Um, they've somehow dropped to sixth. And so all of a sudden they were the team who we thought could maybe do what the Kansas Taipans are doing right now, which is separate themselves from that fight for the sixth. You know, like maybe flirt with the one or two. Um, now it looks like Southeast Melbourne, these injuries have forced them down. They've lost four in a row. They're down and they're they're in sixth spot. They're, they've got to fight for their lives right now. Fortunately for the Phoenix, they've got three out of five games at home and it's not John Kane Arena, but, you know, unlike Melbourne, they have alternate venues that they can play at. We know they did the Terrellgan game. Again, was, I've said it before. I think I've said it every podcast for the last three weeks, but that win over the Kings in double overtime where all yeah. the carnage happened. Gee, that might be pivotal when we look back at it in a couple of weeks, but they got three games at the State Basketball Centre. The schedule has been nice to them here with all those injuries because they played mm. on the weekend. They don't play until next Monday and then they get Brisbane. Got to get it. Just got to get that win because they have got some tough games on the road home. But the three games at the State Basketball Centre you know, is Sandy. It's fortunate for them that they still get to play uh, those home games. I think they're all sellouts as well. So they'll be uh, excited about that. Uh, you saw the Sydney Kings in person and I'm definitely jealous the fact that you get into some basketball games. I've got to find a way. I mean, I'll go to Phoenix, Brisbane on Monday. I'm looking forward to that. But it's yeah, just, it's we got, not, we got so used to we got so used to seeing three games a weekend. It was absolute chaos for the first couple of months of the season here in Melbourne. But you saw the Kings in person. And we nitpick about the Kings because we kind of have to because they win most weeks. And even if they lose, it's only a couple of baskets that they've gone down by. They don't get blown out. But this last four weeks, it's been pretty devastating stuff on the offensive end, which would be a little bit of a concern for the rest of the league, I have to say. I mean, they're the best defensive team in the league. And so for them just to explode offensively the way they have, and it's not just the fact that they've been doing that, but it's the nature of the way they've been doing it in in the sense that some nights it's Xavier Cooks dropping 20 and 10 in 20 minutes. Um, that's also scary. The fact that they don't have to play anyone above 30 minutes because they're so deep. Um, whether And then it's DJ Vasiljevic hitting 10 threes um, on Southeast Melbourne. Like the fact that they can have someone like that who can just pop off every now and then. <laughs> um, and then it only takes this is one of the hilarious things. Before that game, he, we're talking about his shooting woes, shooting 29% from downtown on the season. He has one game, it bumps him up to 34%, which is a completely reasonable, respectable um, rate. Um, and then it's they did that game without Derek Walton Jr. He comes back. All of a sudden, they have their elite point guard back doing his thing. They have stretches in games where they're just getting easy looks at the rim to Tim Suarez or to Jordy Hunter. You have Angus Glover shooting 40-plus percent from downtown. Sean Bruce is shooting at a, really, at a really high level. He's one of the most effective players in the league right now. And so they just have these waves of people they can throw at you. And it's not just the top-tier guys. It's also the, the bench guys who have been together for a good amount of time. So they're super effective in what they do. They're really well-organized. And all of that is around this, the whole crux of what they are, which is a team that guards. So they guard really well. So they're not pulling the ball out of the basket. They're getting rebounds and they're running. They push it at every 
at every chance they get, even to the point, and I spoke with Chase Buford about this after the game, to their detriment, they do they do what they do and they ram it down your throat. So whether it's moving the ball, you know, they would pass up open shots for even more open shots and then to the point where the shot clock would wind down or there'd be, there'd be an offensive three seconds or they would advance the ball trying to run and that, that ball would get would go out of bounds. But they're just trying to just do what they do because they know it, that what they do is elite and they know that they'll they can win games because they guard so well. And the problem for the rest of the league, because you look at some of these teams and we've done it a little bit, certainly Cairns for the most part this year has struggled in the half court offensively, uh, but they force turnovers, they play in transition, they shoot the threes. They can be a really dangerous offensive team, but the Kings are top three in the half court as well. I mean, they they can pick you apart either way, but Xavier Cooks, he's out here looking like a, a big Russell Westbrook, getting the defensive rebounds <laughs> and then just pushing the pace. Like it's been pretty fun to watch over these last four games as i said uh, 19.5 point average winning margin over this four game stretch so it hasn't been close and cooks is averaging 22 9 and 5 uh in that stretch as well so sometimes we point to well he impacts games in other ways it's not just the scoring uh, but he's been scoring in these last few games and it hasn't looked like a team has had much of a yeah, much of a way to stop him. And eight players averaging over seven points in that stretch as well. So the depth that you pointed to there. So the Kings, yeah, I mean, they they look like they are rolling to back-to-back titles. Lots can happen. But for a team that I think, you know, offensively for most of the year, it's just been, just been going, just been chugging along. It looks yeah. like they're, they're starting to flip a switch, which is, again, as I pointed to, is pretty scary. Yeah, and, and it's... The benefit of having Xavier Cooks as your best player, because when he needs to take over and step up, whether that's pulling the ball off the rim and pushing it and kind of imposing himself that way or doing his thing in the post, or even he comes off on balls, he sets on balls, like he does all that stuff. But we talk about that depth and, you know, the scoring across the board. He's also probably the most elite connector in the, M- mm. in the NBL as well. And so he can be the MVP when he needs to. And there are times where the Kings need him to be that. And there are also times when he understands that his team is in a flow. They're doing other guys are cooking, and so he just has to be the connector. And because he does have a certain level of gravity, but mainly it's just his basketball IQ that he knows how to create for his teammates, and he knows how to um, how to sort of manipulate a defense into getting other guys open. And because we know the skill set of those guys, they're going to hit shots too. So his ability to to play at like every range of a role. Whether it's, whether it's MVP or whether it's just a connector who's just like dribble handoffing and, and that sort of thing, I think is what makes him elite. It's what makes him, I think, the MVP. It's what it's what makes the Sydney Kings the best team in the league. The fact that he's their best player and he can mold himself. He can transform into whatever they need him to be. But what if Melbourne United sneaks in their rogs? They're coming. Melbourne United up, is Kane. coming. All right. Yeah, they are coming. They are. They're playing very well. I, I agree. They would be a serious, serious threat. I just, you tried to take the piss out of me at the start of this podcast. <laughs> so I've got my back up about it. Hey, we got hoops tonight. No Monday night hoops. I wasn't thrilled about that as I sat down on the couch and turned on ESPN. I was like, what's going on? But now we've got a double header on Tuesday. So if you're a Jackie's fan and you're wondering why we didn't give you a lot of love tonight, you're playing tonight. So things are going to change tonight. It makes it difficult to talk about. Uh, likewise, with the New Zealand Breakers who have been playing great basketball. Uh, really tough schedule stuff for New Zealand. So they obviously missed a few games. So they're in Perth tonight. Then they need to fly back and play Melbourne on Thursday night. So I, look, I'm not 
I don't have this off the top of my head. Is Cairns to New Zealand or Cairns to Cairns to New Zealand or New Zealand to Perth longer? Probably New Zealand to Perth, I would have to say. So it has to be New Zealand to Perth. You're going from the very west of our country to New Zealand. That's Come right. Come on, Kane. That's exactly what Just I look said. Look at a map. New Zealand yeah. to Perth. Uh, you know. Look at one map. Uh, it can be confusing from time to time. So <laughs> that's a pretty long trip. So hopefully they get some sleep on the plane. But if you're a Wildcats fan, got to have it. If you're a Jackies fan, can't have a slip up here. You cannot let the Hawks get off this winning streak, but uh, it's a lot of fun. We'll be back next Tuesday. Do you reckon you're going to show your face in Melbourne next week or what? Next week is... Oh, I should be. I should be back in Melbourne by then. I'm going to catch some of the back-end Southeast Melbourne games. Nice. Sounds good. Well, we might be back in the studio next week, which will be uh, a lot of fun. Outside of the basketball, Wednesday night, you've got the Bullets and the King at 7.30 p.m. You've got the jump at 9.30 p.m. Straight from there, we'll have a player from the winning team. King's obviously favorites, but hey, maybe the Bullets will surprise us. So make sure you tune in to <laughs> the jump with Andrew Gaze, Leonard Copeland, Nat Edwards. There will be many myself. surprises, clearly. Yeah, many surprises. <laughs> It'll be a fun show. There's no doubt about that. And then uh, make sure you check out ESPN.com.au. As I said, I've got stuff coming on Melbourne this week. I've got stuff coming on Cairns. You got anything cooking, Olgs? Uh, in the pipeline, yeah. Stay tuned this month. Nice. I like it. All right, Olgs. I'll catch you next week, hopefully in person. Yes. Bye, Kane.